Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Scott Lauber joins us. Uh, Scott, great to have you back. Appreciate your time very much. Hey, how are you? Doing great, Scott. So Trey Turner. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is obviously you know the, the Phillies looked at shortstop. You know, how much did it help that he had the relationship that he does with Bryce Harper? Well, it didn't hurt, you know, uh, and, and it wasn't just Bryce Harper. Um, he has a, a, a good relationship with Kevin Long, the hitting coach. He had what you might consider his two best seasons, at least offensively, uh, with the Nationals while Kevin Long was the hitting coach there. So there's history there as well. Uh, there's geography that played a part. Um, Turner is from Florida. His wife is from New Jersey, uh, there was a perception, at least, that he preferred the East Coast over the West Coast. Um, and all of those things will be things that we get a chance to ask him about when the deal is completed and he comes to Philadelphia and has a news conference. But, look, at the end of the day, um, none of those things matter a whole lot if the Phillies hadn't made a uh, $300 million offer over 11 years. And um, while I was told yesterday that it was not the highest offer, that he had a higher offer on the table from the San Diego Padres. Right. Uh, it was close enough. And um, and close enough, I guess, with all of those other factors um, pointed to Philadelphia for him. So certainly a lot of connections there that definitely helped it along. But if the offer has not been competitive, um, I don't think he was going to he was going to forgo that to come here for those connections. Are the Phillies done at the winter meetings now that they have Turner? Uh, no, um, because they still need a lot of pitching. And, uh, and you know, we're talking about middle of the rotation and back of the bullpen kind of thing. So uh, not, not, a, not a top of the rotation guy or anything like that that's going to make huge headlines. The Turner signing is their biggest move of the offseason. Uh, but they have a lot of business left to do. I, I counted it up, and, you know, they have six free agent pitchers uh, two of whom, Zach Eflin and Kyle Gibson, have already moved on to other teams. Uh, Noah Syndergaard, David Robertson, Brad Hand, and Corey Knable. And between those six pitchers, uh, they logged 411 innings last year. So that's 411 innings that mm-hmm. the Phillies need to replace. Not all of it will come internally. So they're, they're going to need to go out there and find some pitching uh, to help them. And that's kind of what their their focus is on now. And kind of what they pivoted to. I don't know if they'll find it before the end of these meetings. They end tomorrow, but uh, that that's next on their uh, on their list. Drove in 100. Uh, we know he has speed. The reputation he has, and you tell me if what you, what you understand versus what I've understood, is that he hits mediocre to bad pitching and just kills it, but does struggle against better pitching. What is what's the rep as you understand it? You're talking about Turner, right? Turner, yes. Yeah, no. I mean, I I haven't dug deeply enough into that to know, um, honestly, and I haven't heard that per se from people I've talked to uh, about him. Um, you know, he's he's what's attractive or appealing about Turner is the speed power combination, right? So he's yeah. a He's usually a 20-20 guy, and those are in short supply. And 
there are things to like about a, a 29-year-old shortstop with a lot of speed who uh, is going to be put now into a situation with bigger bases and more running in the game and more action in the game That's next true. year. There are reasons to like the way he might age as a 29-year-old shortstop uh, going on 30. So, you know, those are the reasons to like him. The reasons to have some pause are, you know, it's an 11-year contract, right? So yeah. it's, it's going to take him through through age 40 uh, by the time it's over. Um, and you, you know that he's not going to be a shortstop that entire time. He's going to probably have to move to, you know, second base or, or maybe even center field or third base or somewhere else off of shortstop. So how many years do you get of the 11 as uh, of Trey Turner as a shortstop? And how much value does he have once you have to move him off of that position? You know, does he lose some value? I'll tell you this. After talking to John Middleton last night, had a chance to talk to him on the phone, it's pretty clear that, you, you know, the Phillies are not concerned about 2030. Um, and if Trey Turner is not a shortstop in 2030, that's fine with them, uh, especially mm-hmm. if they have a couple of World Series trophies to show for it. So, I mean, I think they feel like he's going to be a shortstop for a little while still. And if they get four, five, six more years of him at shortstop and win a couple of World Series, They'll, they'll take some of the, the loss of value at the back end of the deal um, for what they were able to get in the front end. So they're clearly going for it. They're going for it within the next, you know, three, four, five years to try to win as many World Series as they can. What happens now with Bryson Stott? Is it second base or does he move? No, it's second base. That's the plan. They, they like Stott a lot, and they also know that uh, they need players um, they need homegrown young players at the lower end of the salary spectrum, right, in order to make this thing work. Yeah, so true. you can have a roster with five twenty million dollars plus per year players if you have, you know, homegrown guys at the other end uh, who are who are producing and 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 contributing for you. So Stott's one of those guys. They, they like him a lot. They think that there's a lot of growth in there. They still see him as a potential leadoff guy or top-of-the-order type guy down the road. So uh, they'll move him to second base and, um, and and I think be pretty happy with the fact that they have a controllable young player at you know, close to minimum salary playing next to Trey Turner. Any thoughts about the numbers being thrown around, $86 million for Verlander? DeGrom got a gigantic contract, even though you have as many innings pitched in the last five years as he does. Uh, $300 million for Trey Turner. Is uh, that just become the norm in your mind, or are you surprised by the numbers we're seeing? I think I'm never surprised. I'm never surprised. Yeah, um, somebody told me a long time ago that all it takes is one team, right? So right. you might hear early in the offseason, you might hear an agent or you might hear whispers uh, from an agent or a player saying, like, here's what we're looking for. And you might say to yourself, and I know this has happened many, many times since I started covering baseball in 2006, you hear something like that and you think to yourself, well, that's crazy. He'll never get that contract. Mm-hmm. And all it takes is one team to go give it to him, and that's what he gets. And so there's always the one-team philosophy, never, ever leaves me surprised with what anybody gets. What is a little bit, I don't know if disturbing is the right word, um, unsettling maybe, is that uh, there's really not a ton of teams that are making these deals with players. Like, right. Jacob DeGrom gets the contract he got from a team in Texas that's trying to spend money and win. Verlander right. goes to the Mets. We know they like to spend money. Turner goes to the Phillies. I mean, Middleton's been pretty clear about what he's willing to do. 
you know, the Yankees, if they don't, you know, they're either going to sign Aaron Judge or if they don't sign Aaron Judge, they're going to make a big strike for somebody else. Um, you know, it's, it's the same teams over and over again that are spending the big money, and it's the same teams. You know, I often wonder, like, what it would be like to come to these meetings and cover the Pirates, you know, yeah. like, or cover the, cover the Royals. Why even attend? Because you know that, that, that the team is not going to make a big move or make a big signing, and that's got to be frustrating to the fan bases. That's got to be frustrating to, you know, to people who live in those places that their teams just are not, their ownerships are not willing to, uh, to compete with the big boys. And um, so that's the only part of it, I think, that, you know, you walk away from these things every year and you say, well, why is it always the same teams over and over again? And why are those, you know, it's no secret that those are the teams that end up in the postseason. They don't always win it. But they're the teams that end up being the most competitive, and it's the other teams that are not. So uh, that's the only part of this that's a little bit, you know, unsettling or disappointing or whatever you want to, however you want to put it. Yeah, I, I put it as disconcerting. Where you just, yeah, I just sit there and I look at it, and I agree with you, Scott. Hey, you really only have to cover eight teams, and the other twenty-two. I mean, Texas is desperate, so they made that move. Okay, I got that part. But if you're covering somebody else. Yeah, why bother? I mean, that's that's you know, I mean the Pirates. Yeah, you I mean, know, and, and like I mean, you know, Santana's their big their big signing. What are you going to do? Make him the uh, Grand Marshal of the parade? <laughs> right, right, exactly. You know, and 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 that's and that's why it's you know it feels like not everyone's playing in the same in the same league, and and um, you know that's a problem for baseball because you'd like to think that in the majority of the 30 cities and it's not going to happen in all 30 every year but in the majority of the 30 cities on opening day fans think they have a chance their team has a chance to win and right. and that's not the case in you know I haven't sat down and counted them up but that's not the case in a good number of of markets you can't legitimately sit there on opening day and say you know my team has a chance to win the world series now you know things happen and you know, if we talked about, and I think we did on, uh, you know, on June 3rd when the Phillies fired Joe Girardi, if if you talked to any Phillies fan and said, you know, how do you feel about your team, you probably wouldn't have found any that said they have a chance to win the World Series and they got to Game right. Six. So things happen right. uh, and surprises happen, but you know, the Phillies also, you know, were probably the most expensive, you know, underdog team in a World Series, whatever, right? Like how many yeah. 240 million dollar payrolls are underdogs in a World Series? Um, you know they were built to win, and they ended up they ended up winning, even if it was in a roundabout way. So, uh, you know, if you were to tell a Pirates fan or a Royals fan or a Tigers fan that their team's going to be in the World Series, there's there's really no chance, and it, it won't happen. Has the free agency component at the moment, especially with Aaron Judge being at the front of it, has that in some ways, for the moment, put a pause on on making trades? Because now you want to see who you get in a free agent. Then, what do I need in a trade? Is is that been the pattern you're seeing? I think so, to a certain extent. You know, I think it's it's generally put a bit of a drag on the market as a whole. Like, yeah. I came here thinking, came here Sunday thinking, like Aaron Judge, and I wrote this that Aaron Judge would be the first position player domino to fall, right? Because right, you know, it's it seemed like so he's a unique player. Number one, and you know there were there were four elite shortstops that were free agents this year, but there were four of them, you know, and, and Aaron there are not four Aaron judges, so that he was a unique player. And number two, the market for him seemed to be a lot smaller. It's the Yankees, it's the Giants, primarily. Maybe it's the Dodgers on a on a shorter term, higher average annual value kind of deal. 
but there aren't a ton of teams lining up for Aaron Judge the way there are for these shortstops because there are more of them. So I kind of right. thought, well, once Aaron Judge, the domino, the Aaron Judge domino falls, like let's say the Yankees re-sign him. Now the Giants jump into the shortstop market, right? And maybe mm-hmm. Correa goes or something like that. Um, I think the reason Turner uh, wound up going was because he got an 11-year, $300 million deal that was sitting there yeah. for him. And he had two teams in the Phillies and the Padres that were willing to to sort of bid one another up and see and see what happens. So, um, you know, I, I think – and I think there was a perception out there that of the four shortstops, Turner was either the best or was going to get the most money or, you know, whatnot. So I think that was unique in, in and of itself, um, that there were two teams that were pretty aggressive uh, on, that, on that front. And the Phillies, let's say this, I mean – the Phillies had a very, very specific need. They had a need for a shortstop, and there were four of them to choose from. And my experience covering Dave Dombrowski since his Red Sox days has been that when he can identify a very specific need for his club, he does not wait around. He likes to be aggressive, and he likes to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did it with David Price very early in the offseason with the, with the Red Sox when he needed an he sure eight did. in 2016, yep. and he's done it here with the shortstop. So. You know, there was that element of it, too. But, yeah, I do. I think that you, you asked about Judge. I think that it's kind of holding up the other shortstops a little bit, and it's probably holding up the trade market because if, you, if you're the Giants, for instance, and you don't get Aaron Judge, you've got to go find that big piece somewhere else. And whether it's a shortstop or a major trade for somebody, you've got to look in other areas. So, yeah, I do think that once that, once that piece is completed and we know where Aaron Judge is going to play um, – We'll see things move a lot more quickly. And what's interesting about that is is that except for the Time Magazine article, Judge doesn't talk, his right. agent doesn't talk, the Yankees don't talk, and the Giants don't talk. They, there's nobody talking. Right. Right. So from a reporter's point of view, that's not a big help, Scott. <laughs> no, no, no. And take it from from someone who covers the team that is very good about. Uh, uh, not leaking anything and not talking, um, that's very frustrating as a reporter because you, all you're trying to do is kind of get a, kind of get a, a, you know, read the read the tea leaves a little bit or get the temperature of what's going on so that you're not, you know, misleading anyone or you're as accurate as possible or, you know, you're not, you're not, um, you know, you're not wildly off base. I can't tell you how many times I've said, like, okay, if I write this, you know, you don't have to tell me what's going on, but if I write this, am I completely off base? And just, you know, you just don't want to be led astray. And, you know, you hope that behind the scenes, maybe in, in, the, in the judge thing, that some of that is going on. But we don't know, because as you said, like, nobody is, nobody's been real public about, about that. I, I just sort of walked away from an area of the meetings a little while ago where Scott Boris was holding court for his, you know, for for many of us, and, and he's one of the few agents who does do that at these things where he doesn't necessarily tell you anything, but he's willing to talk about his clients, and it's just good, it's just good to get their names out there from his perspective. So, um, but it also gives you a chance to ask him questions, and um, that's a good give and take to have as a reporter. It's always great to talk with you, Scott. Great work, as always, keeping everybody informed. We appreciate you. Thanks, Steve. Talk to you soon.